Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, Rick Stroud remains on vacation, so I picked the better half of the former sports page show to fill in today. You like that one? I do like that. It was pretty good. I was, and, I, and sports page, I hadn't heard that name in a long time, man. Yeah, that was the original name of the show before it became just Rick and Tom. Right. Um, that was your idea, sports page, right? Actually, that was John Mamola. Really? Oh, okay. yeah, that was, was John. A good Mom- idea. I love that. I love that name. Sorry. Yep. No, that was John Mamola that actually came up with that one, and I was like, yeah, I like that. Let's go with it. So. Yeah. Um, I don't remember how long that lasted, and then we kind of switched it to Rick and Tom, or yeah, which which ultimately at the end of the day, the names are probably a better name for it, but because uh, you want you want people to um, to to uh, uh, connect with it, right? And so just the sports page, it doesn't. But you know, I like Rick, I like Tom, I like Rick and Tom. You know, it, it's there's a, a part of the marketing of it is you want the names out there. And it works. It helps for endorsements and selling things too. So, well, Sports Page was probably the smart idea to go with at the beginning because we weren't sure Rick and Tom were going to be there all that long <laughs> at the start. So, so, so it's, it's easy to change characters. Yeah, when, go find uh, some other newspaper guys. Bring them in. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And that way, but Rick and Tom. If we name it Rick and Tom, then you're pretty much limited to either hiring a guy named Rick or a guy named Tom. So, yeah. You know, the funny thing is, 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 and I've told you guys this story that uh, the first radio station I was program director of in Cincinnati, our morning show was the Two Angry Guys, and their name was is uh, Tom and Richard. Oh, okay. And it was funny that the exact same names are the morning show I hired in Tampa Bay as well. So, well, we were two angry guys. <laughs> uh, you before, weren't as well. You weren't as angry before and as, after. As, yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> Especially immediately after. <laughs> no, you guys aren't nearly as angry as, as Tom and Richard were in Cincinnati. But oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, but uh, anyway, uh, so Tom Jones is uh, joining us today, and we're going to have Tom answer some mailbag questions that you guys sent in today. So instead of getting Rick's answers that are 100% correct, we're going to get Tom's that are 110% correct. So <laughs> We'll see. But first of all, game three for the Lightning is tonight. Lightning have a 2-0 lead in the Stanley Cup final after beating Montreal 5-1 to in game one and then coming back and beating them 3-1 to in game two. I assume, Tom, you would agree that the Canadians outplayed the Lightning in Game 2. Oh, by a lot. By a lot. And and it just confirms what I already knew. But I, you know, I, I've covered hockey more than any other sport over my sports writing career. And I've covered a lot of playoff series live in person. And I thought, obviously, like everybody out there, uh, and a lot of people listening, have watched a lot of playoff series on TV or whatever. And the thing that this series confirmed to me is something, like I said, I already knew that one game is never a precursor to the next. It's just, I've never seen anything like it happens in a lot of sports actually, but it really happens in hockey where you, you watch a game and you think, you know, what's going to happen. Like you and I, we talked on the phone before game one and we were both pretty convinced that the lightning was way better than the Canadians, that they were uh, um, the heavy favorite well, I was ready to pick the Lightning in four or in five. I would have picked them in four, but I didn't have the guts because you know, who sweeps, right? And then they go out and they play exactly like we thought they would. They demolished the Canadians in game one. So then you go into game two and you think, okay, 
everything we thought that going into game one is going to happen in game two because we saw it in game one. Well, then just the opposite happens. And if you remove the goals, if like if you showed me a tape of that game and just remove the goals and asked me, okay, who do you think won that game? I'd have said Canadians, and I probably would have said that game was 5-1. I don't know how they won. Well, I do know how they won it. They had the lightning at Andre Vasilevsky in that. So having said all that, Steve, I have no idea what to predict for game three. Well, a couple things. One, they say a playoff series doesn't begin until someone loses a home game, which right. Montreal has not lost a home game yet. But that being said, I, I, and I, 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 the Lightning have the more talented team, and now Montreal has to win four out of five games. Right, which you know. I don't see happening. I, 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 when I look at, if, if you ask, the easy thing to say is, okay, the Lightning probably aren't as good as they were in game one, and they weren't as bad as they were in game two. They're probably somewhere in the middle. That that this series is probably somewhere in the middle, too, at the first two games. Actually, though, Steve, I don't know if it's in the middle. I think it's actually closer to game one. I, mm-hmm. I, do, I, I thought game one was more indicative of what to expect in this series than, than what we saw in game two. Game two, Montreal, you're right. They played really well, and there's every reason to give them credit because we've seen what they've done so far. They were down 3-1 to Toronto. Nobody gave him a chance against Winnipeg. Nobody gave him a chance against Vegas. And they keep winning, and they keep coming out in games that you don't think they're going to play well, and they play well, and they win series that you don't think they're going to win. So I wouldn't be stunned, shocked, blown over if they win game three. But at the same time, if you're saying which which game was more like what we're going to see rest of the series, I thought game one was more indicative of what I thought this series was going to be like. I agree. Although I will say in game two, and the Canadians outplayed the Lightning, and and for several reasons. But I don't think the Lightning's defense was that bad in game two. They couldn't control the puck at all, and so Montreal had all the puck possession because the pucks were just exploding off sticks, and and you constantly saw or heard, you know, off his stick, off his stick. You know, this pass, you know, hits Kucherov, goes off his stick, hits Palat, hits Point, hits Tyler John. You name it. They couldn't control the puck. Right. But how many grade-A chances did Montreal have in that game on goal? They had 43 shots. Right. But they didn't have a ton of great shots. I mean, yeah, there, there, were some, there some, was good shots, and they asked. were putting everything on the net, and, yeah. and that's what you're supposed to do. And Andre Vasilevsky is a really good goalie. But it wasn't like the Lightning's defense was giving up odd man rush after odd man rush. There was a couple Correct. of them. Correct. You're right. There you were know. a couple of them, and they weren't even like – Real good. There was like like partial breakaways. Like mm-hmm. they never seen. There was there were a couple where they had a, they had a decent scoring chance, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like a great A scoring. You're right about. But that, it right? wasn't something you're alarmed over the course of a 60 minute game that they gave up a couple you know partial odd man rushes. Right. I, I mean their commitment to defense was still there. They just they couldn't control the puck, and so they they didn't have a lot of possession in the offensive zone, which is what they had in game one. I mean, right. The two shots that have beat Andre Vasilevsky in the series. Oh, I know. Both those shots went off two lightning players. Not one. It was a double deflection off two different lightning players. Both goals. Right. Yeah, no, and they've scored two yeah, two goals in two games and both of them no there's nobody in the world that would have stopped either one of them. And and you're right. I like I wasn't like I looked somebody asked me about this today. I was talking about and we were talking about Vasilevsky and just this whole idea of how could three GMs out there leave him off of their Vesna Trophy ballot? You know, not even the top three, and he's the best goalie on the planet, and he's he won Game Two for him, and and so someone that like who like doesn't know a great deal about hockey but knows a little said, "Hey, I got a question for you. 
Well, did Vance Lusk, he always say goalies stand on their head. Do you think he really stood on his head? And I go, yeah. And then I thought about it. I'm like, well, Mm-mm. no, I mean, he, he was in control the whole game. He didn't give up any bad ones, obviously. Stopped everything he was supposed to. Made a couple really big saves, which you expect from any goalie in the playoffs. But, yeah, you're right. It wasn't as if, oh, my gosh, when he walked away, like, oh, we're never going to beat this guy. It, it wasn't like that. You're right. I, you know, he, he was good, and he was a big reason. He was the number one star of the game. But you're right. I don't think he had to be just, you know, spectacular. We've seen him mm-hmm. ha- have to be spectacular. That wasn't one of those games. Yeah, they just they just could not, you know, they could not string consecutive passes together and keep momentum and keep the puck in the offensive. There was a couple times they cycled through, and the Sorelli goal was one of those times where they just kept the puck in the offensive zone and kept cycling, kept cycling. And finally, it's Sorelli shooting from the point with Jan Ruta screening, you know, and that, that gets through. But right. you know, I I didn't think the Lightning, like I said, I mean, it was it was it was one of their worst games in the playoffs. But it wasn't because they, you know, it wasn't like they did what the Islanders did in the one game and all of a sudden couldn't stop anybody. And it, when Lightning right. were getting odd man rush after odd man rush, um, you know, it wasn't that scenario. It just they just their passes weren't crisp. There, it just like they were just a little bit off. It just I, I don't yeah. I don't know how better way to describe it, but it was just. Nothing was in sync. It was just slightly off. And, and Montreal probably had something to do with it, too. I mean, they came with a much better effort in game two. No question about it. And they right. played a very good game. They couldn't get anything past Vasquez except the one goal. But and, and so they probably had something to do with that. But if I'm the Lightning, I'm not concerned coming out of that game. I mean, you want a better effort next time. You know, you want to be more in sync and have more flow and, and what you usually see from the Lightning. It's... You know, when they're playing like that, they look like they're they're skating in mud because they can't they can't move the puck. That's a good way to put it because there were times in that game too where you thought they just seem a step behind. Like every, mm-hmm. Montreal was getting the pucks quicker, and I don't know how to explain it, Steve. And and you wouldn't think I know people are listening and say, well, how could you possibly be flat in a Stanley Cup final game? You're you're so close to the finish line. These games are so intense. I just think. I just don't think people realize the effort mm-hmm. and just the, the commitment it takes to be up every single minute. And you wouldn't think so. You're playing every other day, but it's just hard to maintain that intensity every night. It just is. I, Cause I, and I know it is because I've seen it. I've seen it too many times where, and we've seen it with this franchise a lot with the lightning that, that they have, sometimes they have these, I don't know if like we call this a clunker game, but it just wasn't, it wasn't their best game. That's the thing. If if I'm Montreal, I'm a little like e, because the Lightning rarely has two of those games in a row. I mm-hmm. think they're going to be the Lightning's going to be much better in Game Three. Now, maybe Montreal gets a little bit of puck luck. Maybe they, you know, the, as sometimes you get in the middle of a series, you have one of those games where where you get a bunch of penalties. You know, where where you have each team gets four or five power plays, which is not a good idea for Montreal to get in that kind of game. But maybe it'll help help them as well. So. Uh, if I'm Montreal, I'm a little concerned with what happened the other night because I played really well, and and it's still and the other team didn't, and we and we still weren't good enough to win that game. Well, the other thing is teams that take a 2-0 series lead in the Stanley Cup final have won 46 out of 51 series. Well, it, you, when, on one hand, you think about it and say, well, they just have to come back and win their home games, and and all of a sudden it's 2-2 again. But you're right, Steve. When you the thing that always gets me is when people put it in the term that is actually accurate, which is now they got to win four out of five. It's four, just hard to imagine. Four out of five against a team that doesn't lose two in a row in the postseason. Right, yeah. And a team that can play you any way you want. The only thing, 
you know, with the lightning, the only thing that concerns you is, is the injuries are starting to pile up a little bit. Who knows what Alex Kalorn's situation will be like. Mm-hmm. Tyler Johnson, Ross Colton Tyler missed Johnson. some time in game yeah. two as well. John Cooper said he'd have updates later today as far as their availability. Now, Kalorn did make the trip to Montreal, so that's a good sign. That's a good Doesn't sign. Doesn't mean he's going to play, but it, it definitely shows that he's closer to returning than remaining out. You and know. I, you never know how to take these things. So you might look at and say, Alex Kalorn, well, you got a 2-0 series lead, maybe give another rest in game three. But I don't know that you could ever take that attitude of, okay, we can give a game away at this point. Or, or If he can play, he'll play. Yeah, I that's mean, right. If, that's if, what, if he's right, cleared exactly. and, and feels he can play, he'll play. Now, you know, not knowing what the – it's something, you know, he blocked a shot with his ankle or foot. Mm-hmm. You know, is it just a bruise? Is it a sprain? Is it broken? Is it – you know, I mean, I don't know what the injury is, so some of it depends on, you know, do the doctors clear them and then the, taint, the pain tolerance for it. Right. But i tell you what, Steve, I, you know, I, I've followed this as you have. You've watched this team for a long time. They were, we didn't get to see them in person last year because of, um, because of COVID and we had to watch all these games on TV. But, you know, when I look back at this sort of this incarnation of the Lightning, the John Cooper era, you know, the Stamkos had, and, and like this group, Stamkos, Hedman, Kucherov, you know, Kalorn, Johnson, those guys. This is the best I've seen them. Like the, their in, their intensity level, their commitment to defense, their willingness to 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 get gritty. Um, it's it's un, it's it's the best I've ever seen with this franchise. So uh, you know, last since the two thousand four, uh, the, the two thousand four team was special too. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm talking about this group, the, right. You know, this current. Group. So last year, if you remember, it, when when everything paused in March. They were kind of reeling a little bit. They had had a really good stretch, you know, early in the calendar year, 2020. But going into the when COVID stopped, they were, you know, kind of win a game, lose a game, win a game. They weren't playing very good hockey. You take that three month break, whatever it was. They come back in the bubble, and their commitment to playing hockey the way of it's not a matter of how many goals we score, but how many we keep out of our net. Right. That John Cooper has preached for a long time. Sure. They took that to another level on their team in that bubble. And I think showed everyone that what kind of team they are and that, you know, yeah, we've got all the skill on the front and the offensive end. That's still what everyone talks about on this team. No one gives this team credit for how well they play defense. I mean, they're, they're giving up less than two goals a game in the playoffs. That's incredible. This is, um, is it 20, either 19 or 20 games they've played in the playoffs and they're, they're giving up less than two goals a game. It's amazing, and 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 you don't, and I think Cooper. They, they mentioned on the broadcast here, and I, John Cooper likes the idea that people think that this is still the high flying lightning. Mm-hmm. You know, end to end, we'll 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 get in a shootout with anybody. They're not really. That's not really who they are anymore. They're yeah. If you want to play that way, they they have the skill to do it, but they that's not who they are anymore. You know, uh, I was talking to Joe Smith from the Athletic, and and. Uh, I know that he's talked to some people, and there's a famous story in hockey circles. It goes way back about the time the Edmonton Oilers. Um, remember, Edmonton went on their four-year run there where they or won four out of five years or whatever it was back in the 80s. But before they, they went on that run, they lost to the New York Islanders, who were just wrapping up their four, you know, four seasons of uh, winning the Cup every year. And there was – they lost – uh, game, I think it was a, I think it was a quick series. It was maybe a five game series. And as Gretzky and Messi and all those guys were walking out, they walked past the Islanders' dressing room, fully expecting to see champagne and guys whooping and hollering. 
And the, I guess the, the story goes that they looked at these guys, and these guys were just sitting there with ice packs. And, you know, they were happy they won, but it was just sort of like they were spent. And all of a sudden, the owners goes like, that's what it takes to win a Stanley Cup right there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's not about it's not about celebrating the champagne and the cigars and all that. It's That's what a post-Stanley Cup looks like. And I think the Lightning, that's the way they play now. I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. saying they're not enjoying it, they're not celebrating it, but that sort of like what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. I thought they learned probably a little bit of that going all the way back to the Chicago series years ago. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's, you know, each year you, it's, you think about what this franchise has been through. I mean, having losses to the Stanley Cup finals in Chicago, then, then the next two years going, you know, the next year going to the Eastern Conference final and a couple of years after that going to the Eastern well, Conference final. Well, and being final, up 3-2. Losing three two in both series, being yeah. up three two two years later to Washington, losing that series, right. then getting then swept getting by Columbus. Columbus, right? And then all of a sudden, COVID comes along. And you think, oh my gosh, we're not, we're not. This is our best team. It's just ne- it's never going to happen. And now I think they're they're at the point now where now this team can be special. This can be special, Steve. A lot of teams win one cup, and it's hard to win one. Not many teams, what, nine franchises ever have done it back-to-back? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to do. And, well, and, and in the salary cap special. era, there's been one. Right. And it's special. I mean, it's a really mm-hmm. special thing. And I think they, they sense, like, we could be, like, a special team that mm-hmm. goes down in history. Well, and, and this team is going to be different next year. This roster is going to look significantly different. Now, right. the core is going to be there. But sure. they've got $20 million of payroll to shed off this roster. And there's going to be expansion draft and, and everything else, too. But getting back to Lightning's defense, they've given up 13 goals in their last 10 playoff games. It's incredible. I mean, I watched that. I went to Game 7. I, I, was, in, I was in the building for, for Game 7, sitting on a, in a corner where the Lightning defended twice. I've never seen a one nothing game that I had the feeling that the other team was never going to score. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I, they, they could, the only way that the Islanders were going to score in that game was if they scored like Montreal did was like, somebody's going to get the puck to the point, just fired in. It's going to hit 17 people on the way and go in somehow. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I never had, it, it was the most like least, if you're a lightning fan, least nerve wracking one, nothing game ever. <laughs> I just didn't. I just never felt the Lightning was were threatened to lose that game. That may have been their best def- defensive performance they've ever put on. It was a clinic. It's, it was a clinic, and it was it was just, um, and you can and, and watching it from down low, and I that's the thing you know for for all those years I covered hockey, mm-hmm. I, I never watch it from that vantage point close up, and you just see just how hard they're working and how there's no room and there's no shot shooting lanes there. It was. It's been really good, and the thing I've always admired about this team is their demeanor. You know, not too high after wins, not too low after losses. It's it just never gets it never gets rattled. It never gets full of itself. I that's the thing that's impressed me most, and most, and now it's paying off here. Well, we'll transition from the Lightning to the Rays, who are at the halfway point of the season now. They've played eighty-one games. They're forty-seven and thirty-four which means they're on pace to win 94 games. Is that about what you expected? Not expected? I mean, I think what I didn't expect is Boston to be three and a half games ahead of them in the AL East. And the Yankees ex- and, and Blue yeah. Jays to be, what, five and five and a half games behind. Yeah, this division's not playing out at all like I thought it would. I keep waiting for Boston to fade. I keep waiting for the mm-hmm. Yankees to catch fire. And neither one seems to happen. And I don't And I don't understand why. I Look, I... 
I think Boston's going to keep staying where they're where they are. I think Boston's a real team. I, I'm not I, sure I about think the I, I think they're good. Neil Solance was on with us earlier this week, and he brought up a couple good points about Boston. Is one, they've had five starting pitchers all year, with the exception of two starts, two or three. Mm-hmm. Right. So they haven't had any injuries to the pitching staff. Can you sustain that all year long? Now there have been teams that have pitched only five starting pitchers all year. It's sure. rare. Um, you know, they haven't had some of the injuries that other teams have had. And two, their schedule, they get a much harder schedule in the second half of the season, where the Rays schedule, they start playing the Detroits, the Minnesotas. Yeah, they, they have a lot more games against Baltimore. Um, you know, where Boston's got to play a lot more of the Rays, the Blue Jays, the Yankees, and some of the, the Astros and teams. I think they may have played the Astros already, but some of the other teams in the American League. Schedule-wise, the Rays' schedule gets a little lighter going forward. But I, I, I think Boston's a better team than we anticipated, and I, I, I don't see a reason that they're going to fade fast unless you know a big injury bug hits them. I keep waiting for the Yankees to catch fire and go on one of those you know win nineteen out of twenty three type of streaks, and it just doesn't seem to be happening. It seems whenever they get rolling a little bit, they run in either to the Red Sox or the or the uh, Rays. They can't beat either one of those teams. So I believe they've scored the least amount of runs in baseball, or maybe it's the American League. Which is remarkable. Their lineup, well, first of all, it's so right-handed heavy. It is. But two, their lineup is designed to mash on mediocre pitching. It does not fare well against elite pitching. That's that's a good. And way the Rays to put have it. a lot of elite arms, you know, and they bring them in in all different situations in this. In that, you know, you you bring average stuff up there, and the Yankees will mash the ball all day long. Right. You got a pitcher with some stuff, and they struggle. They can. I mean, now you hang one, they'll crush it. But they don't hit elite pitching very well, and haven't for years. No, that's a good point. And and they they seems like they they get beat up a lot too. They have a lot of injuries that they seem to go through every year. But, but Aaron, they've been I healthy this year. They've been healthier I know. than most years. Stan I mean, Stan's been playing. Judge Hick, Judge has been playing. Hicks out of the lineup hurts them a lot. He he adds a lot of versatility and some depth to that lineup. But but, but. their pitching staff, you know, I'm not I'm not crazy about their pitching staff. I I keep waiting to wake up one day and, and have an announcement that Aaron Boone's been fired. I don't know that that's that's the answer, and it doesn't sound like they're close to doing that, but. Uh, you know, at the same time, I, they got at some point shake. I mean, they're nine. They're nine as we're taping this. They're nine games out of first place. Nine. Uh, it's a, we're at the All Star break. I know. was talking to someone who covers the Yankees today, and you know, we were talking about it. You know, Cashman said it's not an Aaron Boone problem, and the person says, no, it's a Brian Cashman problem. Yeah, it's the roster and the way it's constructed. It's well, not you good. mentioned it. There, it's it's heavy. It's right handed heavy. Mm-hmm. You know, and but there's uh, no versatility to it. It's home no. run or bust. Period. Right. I mean, that's you talk kind of, about baseball's it. become that way a little bit, but you got to have some versatility and some. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, and you talked about the Rays and, and on pace to win ninety four games. If you'd have told me when they walked off the field in Texas last year after Game Six of the World Series that they're going to win ninety four games next year, I would have said, okay, that sounds about right. And and but then if you told me, but here's the here's the catch: they're not going to have Charlie Morton, they're not going to have Blake Snell, and. Tyler Glasnow is going to get hurt pretty early in the season, and you're not going to have him for most of the year. I'd have been, there's no way. <laughs> How are they going to win 94 games without those three guys? And but you don't have maybe your best reliever from last year, Nick Anderson. He's been hurt right. all year. Right. Oliver and they, Drake yeah, the bullpen's been there. a revolving yeah. door with all the injuries. Now, some of those guys are getting ready to come back. Chaz Rose out for the season now, though. Right. But Nick Anderson and Oliver Drake should be back soon, and, and you've got some reinforcements. But, yeah, it's it, it's incredible – the amount of turnover on or how this roster has changed and used, and, and they're still winning. 
I mean, it's it's it, with the starting pitching alone, as you said. I mean, your top three from last year are out right now. Now maybe Glasnow gets back before the end of the year, and I think you need him in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you can get to be... the postseason without him. You need him in the postseason. Yeah, no, we we said that and because the, here's the thing: like they actually maybe have figured out a number a number two guy in the postseason, which is Rich Hill. I don't know what he's going to be like come September October, uh, but he's been fine. Well, and Shane McClanahan showing that he might have yes. that stuff to be an upper part of the rotation. He just needs more experience and and that, and, and every start he gets is more experience. So right. Right, but I like their lineup. I've always liked their lineup. I, I I said that before the season. Everybody was concerned about whether or not they would hit. I I still like their lineup. I like it a lot. You know, I, I Rosarena and and Meadows and Zanino's having. I mean, statistically, he's having a really good year. Even though that's hard to believe when you have a guy who's hitting whatever he's hitting two oh whatever. Yeah, but, but but that's not uncommon in baseball. That but, is not uncommon in baseball. That's right. But he gets timely hits too. I mean, it's it's the situations he gets him in sometimes. And right, and you know, G Man Joy and uh, uh, Margot, I like a lot. So I look her up and down his lineup. We'll see what Wander Franco does as the season goes. Yeah, he on. hasn't even started hitting yet. Really, right? I mean, right. He's, Brandon Lau's had a really, I think, down season for the most part. But, but at times, he starts to catch fire. It looks like and. Yeah, he's getting better. It's kind of funny. They start calling the young guys up, and, oh, I better start hitting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Diaz, I've always liked Diaz. So it's uh, – I like that lineup. And if they can somehow manage to keep that pitch step. But do they make a move, Steve, do you, before uh, to get a starting pitcher before this thing's over? I, or no? I, do you just go with what you got? I, I, th- I think they're, they're – tr- I think they'll try. I mean, it, it depends on who's available and – you know, salary probably comes into it too. You know, it's you know, can they take on particularly if the contract for that player goes beyond this year? If it's a rental, right. I think they absolutely look. Um, you know, but you know, they've got enough prospects to deal from, or you could trade some big league ready guys to teams too. Right. You know, do you want a Brendan Lau? Do you want? A, and not saying they should trade him, but you know, if you're trying to even out some money in a deal. Not that there's a salary cap, but we know the Rays' salary yeah, constraints. No, no, yeah, right. So that'll be interesting. I mean, I, you know, look, I think you've seen the the deals the Rays have made this year from trading Wander or Willie Adamas, calling it Wander Franco, mm-hmm. um, trading Blake Snell, and if you look at the prospects they get back from Luis Patino to Francisco Mejia and some of the others, um, you, you know, I, I, they're in this to win it. I mean, they know they're in a window they can win. I mean. Right. You know, had they not pulled Blake Snell last year, I would have liked taking a shot at Game Seven. Sure, assuming Snell would have <laughs> won, won Game Six. But I like the race chance in a one game against anybody. Right. With that, with that stable of arms down there, you got a shot against anybody in a game or a series. For sure, for sure. So no, I'm I'm excited about this team still. I, I you know, obviously it's they, they, the way baseball works, the way the Rays work is that you play 500 ball for most of the season. Then it gets determined by your streaks. You know, if you go on, if you if the, if you can get a couple more hot streaks than you do cold streaks, then you're going to win 94, 95 games, and that's good enough to get you know in a playoff. I don't even think it matters if you if you win a division at this point, or you know, it's just get in and then figure it out from there. Yep. All right. Well, we'll get some mailbag questions we got for you today. So Rick nice. always answers them 100 percent correct. So I assume yours will be 110 percent correct. So. I'll try. Yes. Uh, we've we'll never st- done this before, so we'll all right. Well, let's, let's let's get to the mailbag here. We'll start with some Rays questions. Uh, Brian had asked, "What is the likelihood the Rays keep the current outfield rotation as it stands, or do you see a trade of Phillips or KK?" And aside, I do not want either traded, but it is the Rays' way. 
you know, it's it's funny. I it, it makes sense that maybe Kiermaier would be a guy that somebody be interested in because he he is such a good defensive player. Um, and he's a veteran guy, and he and he he has a little bit of power. Typically, we haven't seen a whole lot of it this year. I just don't know, Steve. I can't imagine a scenario in which in which Kiermaier would be traded because you would think that you would trade Kiermaier if you were a seller, right? I mean, if, if, if you weren't looking to, to, um, to make the playoffs, if you thought you were back into a rebuilding mode or you fell out of the race, then Kiermaier might be attractive. But the only way that you would want to trade Kiermaier now is to get somebody in return who could help you win now. So I just don't know. Does it, you know, you understand what I'm saying? I don't mm-hmm. know that it matches up well. Well, what, unless you, unless it's somebody else is pitching heavy and they need help defensively. And what if it's a team? And, and I'm not saying this team because I don't think they would make this trade, but it's a team like the Yankees who, let's say, they decide they're not in it. Right. You have a starting pitcher that's a rental. You're going to lose at the end of the year or you're not going to resign at the end of the year. And your defense is a mess. Right. Could you trade for Kiermaier to help solidify and start fixing a defense to sit in center field for the next few years? Yeah. So giving other up, words, giving so up other a, words, a rental pitcher that you know that. Yeah, you know, yeah. And I'm not saying the Yankees would do this, and, and they're not out of it at this point. But you know, a team like that 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 has some holes, particularly on defensively, and the Yankees are a mess defensively. And, I see what you're saying. So it basically it would be a team that. Is is in a window now where they believe they can win. They're just not having a good year this year. Well, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that that they're close, or you know, Kiermaier's a piece for the next few years to help defensively. Right. Yeah. See, when 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 I think about trading Kiermaier, I think about somebody who would want him for this season. But I hadn't really thought of a scenario in which yeah. they would acquire him and then have him for the next two or three years. You're right. They, he would actually fit pretty well on the Yankees. I think. <laughs> I mean, they so they could with, with Hicks on the, the on the DL especially. They right. could. I mean, they you know they got Brett Gardner playing out there some, and Aaron Judge out there some, and and you know their defense has been a mess for a while overall. So he's a guy you know with that short right field porch, and he has a little bit of pop in his bat. Mm-hmm. He could, yeah, he could definitely. Uh, he could, but I, I don't see. I don't see the Yankees wanting to trade. Wanting to well, trade. like I, just, I said, I don't, the Yankees aren't the right team. Right. Mostly division well, and everything point, else. But you find a team that's got a pitcher they're not going to be able to resign, or but yeah. you know think that you know they're in the next year or two can compete and need some help defensively, particularly in center field, which is a crucial defensive position. Sure. Yeah. You know, I like it. Yeah. Why not? But I don't know. I don't think it'll happen. I, I think Kiermaier will be, and we'll be here at the end of the year. Phillips. I don't know. I, I don't think Phillips would be trade bait, but I don't, you know, I think he's more likely not to be, you know, either just to be, and I'm not saying he's going to be DFA or anything like mm-hmm. that, but I just ultimately, I don't, I don't know how much he interest he would have in it in a trade, how much he would, he would get back for mm-hmm. Casey asks if the Rays are playing in an NL ballpark and scored a bunch of runs in the first and decide to technically pinch hit for the starting pitcher. Is that pitcher really out of the game, even though he was never actually in the game? Hmm, the answer is play- yes, because the lineup was submitted. Right. Right. So he couldn't, he was pinch hit for in the first, even though he didn't, he didn't pitch, and he didn't bat. If you pitch, so give me give me this scenario. Say it's say it's uh, say it's Rich Hill. Say Rich Hill. Rich Hill, you're you're in an NL ballpark, so you're batting first. So you're playing the Nationals like yep. you were the yep. other day. You've got six runs in the first, and Rich Hill's coming up to bat. You got two runners on, right? And they pinch yeah. hit for Rich Hill. Yeah, so Rich Hill's out of the game at yes. that point. But even though right. he never he never 
threw a pitch and he didn't he game. didn't go to bat, he would still be out of the game. He's Moonlight Graham at that point. He's yeah. Moonlight Graham yeah. somehow. Exactly. Yeah. So yes. What like if a guy? What if it was a guy who never? That was his own. That, what if it was like Moonlight Graham? That was his one game. Would he have? Would he have? It would count in the as majors? a game played. It would, yeah, because you were on the scorecard as pinch hit for. And, okay, yeah, I wow. would assume. But no I mean, official at bat. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, it's got to be a game played. Yeah. Okay. I I didn't. Now, know what that. I don't I know is, do you get credit for a game started if you never threw a pitch? I don't. If you that never I don't threw know. A pitch. I mean, wow. you're technically in the game, but I don't know if you ever get credit for. I don't know who would. That I don't know the answer to that question. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know either. That's a good question. Hmm. And then he's out for the game. You couldn't bring him in like in the fifth inning or something like that, even though he's never yeah, no. actually appeared in the game. No, because he was pinch hit for, so he's off your. He was on the scorecard. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right, we'll go to some. Uh, let's take some lightning questions here. Okay. And uh, Brian asked, the Canadians played a much better game in game two and still fell short. Do you see a path forward for the Canadians to win other than Price stealing a game? No. <laughs> that's my that's the short answer. Can he steal four? No. I don't he <laughs> might steal one. He could steal two. Even then, I'm not sure it's I'm not sure he can do it. Uh, he's he's a good goalie, but here's the thing, like he's given up a couple of shaky goals. I thought the goal the pot scored, yeah, it was an awful turnover you know the guy mm-hmm. gives a drop pass in his own end price and i but you got to know I where mean, the puck you can't watch you Kucherov. Know you got to know where the puck is right he, he watches kucherov skate right in front of him and, and followed him instead of the puck yeah and i just i think he's got to be a little more aware of that than that and plot shoots it was a smart play by plot and i'm not blaming carrie that's a that's a horrible no. giveaway at the same time you know i just no that goal's um, on edmondson but Right. Carey Price has to know where that puck is and, and have a shot at getting over better than he did. And as look, the goal that Blake Coleman scored was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Could he have played it differently? I mean, do you get to a point where, where it's like that's the only – unless he, you know, unless he thought the pass was not going to be a pass, it was going to be a shot on goal, maybe he has to play the shot there on the well, two I, on I think one, he's playing the shot based on where Col- – I mean, Coleman couldn't reach it without diving. That's true too. And, yeah. and and you but you also know nit, that you also know that you're under 2 seconds on the clock too. So you're playing the clock as well. Right, right. Yeah, I guess yeah, I, I guess I guess he could I mean I mean hindsight you could say that sure, but I mean yeah, but that was a right, perfectly right. placed pass in, in a perfect diving shot. I mean, I I can't fault Carey Price on that. Somebody at all. asked me where that goal would rank all time lightning goals all time. They go on to win the cup. We're gonna have to see what happens here. They're well, gonna have to win the cup. I mean, the but. top two, the top two that come to mind is Marty's in double overtime against Calgary. That's number one. And Stamkos yeah. is in the bubble last year. Right. The the only other goals that I would sort of put in there, uh, Vinny Lecavier's goal in two thousand four in Game Three against Montreal. They were what mm-hmm. fourteen seconds from losing that game. And he scored a goal with a stick between his legs. It was an amazing goal. And then they won in overtime on Brad Richards' goal. That was a big goal. Tyler Johnson, remember Tyler Johnson's buzzer beater? In Detroit um, in game four. Well, in game four, he or, won in uh, overtime. Yeah, right? the, well, the one, the one that they sent to overtime, they, right. were, they were going to be down 3-1 in that series in 15. Yes. And they scored well, the goal. That was the biggest game of that playoff series. Yeah, they, all of a sudden they get it to 2-2, and they come back and win that series 4-3. Right. But uh, but but no, I'm talking about the goal he scored at home against. I believe that was against Montreal, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you're right. Yes. Um, and Carey Price, it would have been Carey Price in that game too, I think. So 
that the buzzer beater and with like what point one seconds or three or whatever. If the Lightning go on to sweep this series, I think that goal's huge because I think if they go out of that period one one, I don't know what happens in the third. Right. Because they got you know they were outplayed particularly in that second period. Oh, even though they end up scoring two. I think that I, I, goal that goal meant more for that. I don't think it was the gut punch to Montreal that everybody thought it was. It's like, oh, that's just a devastating goal. It turned out to be the game winning goal. I get it, but I don't think Montreal's play dipped in the third period. No, I, I think the Lightning's got better. Yes, I, exactly right. So I, I thought it meant more for their momentum and their yes. confidence. Like, hey, we were getting outplayed, and we're up two to one. But, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. If it goes one one into the third. Do the Lightning come out and play as well as they did in the third period? And they didn't play great third period, but defensively, like I said, Montreal didn't have a ton of high quality scoring chances in the third. Right. I think if they if they don't score that goal there, I think the Lightning comes out a bit tight in the third period. I think they squeeze their sticks a little bit. Not saying they wouldn't win, but I'd much rather be an up two to one than one one mm-hmm. going to third. Obviously. All right, Malik asks: Is Kucherov or Vasilevsky the best athlete in Tampa Bay history? Minus Tom Brady. Okay. It's interesting. Okay, so we're, are we talking about like their legacy and their their? That, you the know, question was that? just the best athlete in Tampa Bay. Best history. athlete. I don't. You know, I, you wow, can take that any so way you want to take it. If we're talking, okay, so if we're talking, we'll answer it both ways. If we're talking about uh, best, like physical specimen, like athletic ability, you know. Um. Wow, that's a really good question. I don't know. I don't know who else would be. I'm going to say, I mean, when you start putting Tom Brady, you're not talking physical specimen. That's true. He said minus Tom Brady. So I'm guessing best player, athlete. You know, I think he used athlete because, you know, depending on. Yeah, yeah. Well, if we're talking about physical physical abilities and all that stuff like that, and even even not, I'm going to bring up a guy. It's funny. It's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day about. What another Stanley Cup would mean to the Lightning in terms of legacies and what it would mean to, mm-hmm. to, to their guys' careers. I think this would be a huge Stanley Cup for Steven Stamkos if they win this thing. And it's not that he hasn't had a Hall of Fame career. He's, he's one of the greatest players in Tampa Bay history in any sport. He's, he's going to go down as one of the all-time great Lightning players, if not the all-time greatest Lightning player as far as like you know his, his numbers. Um, but... I mean, let's look at his postseason career. Some of it not his fault. You know, he had the blood clot the one year. He's had some other injuries. You know, he had the core injury last year. He did score the one goal, but it was just, you know, it was a big goal, and it meant a lot emotionally. Played two minutes and 47 seconds the whole play. Yeah, it was just one goal. (laughs) And I think, rightly or wrongly, Stamkos had a reputation for a lot of years there of, boy, the big game comes, and can we rely on him? Can you know he he went through a lot of game sevens without producing, and so did everybody. You know, a lot of guys were on that list, but he was picked. He, you know, not a lot of guys on that list were picked number one overall. He's he's the superstar. He's the franchise. They win a cup this year, Steve. I I think this means a tremendous amount to his legacy. This is now he's a part of it. This is mm-hmm. he. This is his team. He's playing. He's contributing. He's a part of this. But that's not the guy I want to talk about. Steve, I think over the last, if they win another cup here, the guy that we got to start considering to be on the list of greatest all-time Tampa Bay athletes is Victor Hedman. Uh, mm-hmm. I think where I think he belongs with this, the Marty St. Louis and the Derek Brookses and the Warren Sapps and Brady, if you want to put Brady on on the list already. I think when you look at his career, Steve, he's he's been a part of what 
two now three Stanley Cup finals, potentially two champions. He's been in the Eastern Conference final three other times. He's been a playoff MVP. He's been a Norris Trophy winner. He's been a several all all star teams. I I think we'd be hard pressed to find a guy who's had a better career in Tampa Bay sports history. Well, and I, I look at it too as Victor Hedman is pretty much considered the best defenseman in the game today. Mm-hmm. Andre Vasilevsky is considered the best goalie in the game today. Right. You know that that says something when you start talking about you know best player athlete performer whatever however you want to describe it. Tom Brady for years has been the best quarterback in the NFL or many years has been. Sure. You know, when you start talking at that level, Kucherov may be the most dynamic offensive player in the game today. That may be a little more up for debate. Sure. But yeah, when you start having, you know, and the thing is, Tampa, you've got, got Kucherov's won the Hart Trophy. Hedman's yeah. won the Norris. Vazzy's won the Vesna. I mean, you know, Stamkos has won the scoring title. I mean, you've got, you've got guys on this team. I mean, you've got a whole boatload of them that are considered among the best in the, in the game, period. Oh, yeah. I mean, Braden points, and he's a top probably 10 to 15 player in the league, maybe borderline top 10 player. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, no, it's, it's, it's been remarkable. But I, I, I was really thinking about this the other day, about just when we look back at all mm-hmm. this, I, I think we're going to look back at Victor Hedman's career and, say, and make a pretty good case that he belongs – up there, maybe at the top of the list of best Tampa Bay sports. Well, and I've said ever. it too, the, the year that they won 62 and then went, got swept by Columbus. If you remember, oh, Victor yeah. Hedman had a concussion the last week of the year. Right. And he was not right for games one and two against against uh, Columbus and then didn't play games three and four. That's right. I believe, no. I fully believe if he was healthy in that series, and, and look, injuries happen, concussions happen. Sure. That David Savard doesn't undress him in game one to get their first goal. Mm-hmm. They I mean, the Lightning probably hold on to win game one. I mean, they were up 3 nothing at the end of the right. first. They probably win game one. Then I'll take my odds in the series. I mean, that's how important Hedman is to this team. I look and, back and at some of those great Detroit teams of that Eiserman was a part of, and sometimes you get, it gets lost because they had guys like Eiserman and Brendan Shanahan and I think Luke Robitaille was on some of those teams. And Brett Sergei Hall was Fedorov there. And, Sergei Fedorov, yeah. And, and – um, Kozlov and Fatisov, all those guys. They were just a tremendous team. But the the guy that you kind of – Nicholas Lidstrom was the guy mm-hmm. that was really the backbone. And I made the argument that he's one of the five greatest players I've ever seen, Nicholas Lidstrom, um, in terms of, like, guys that I've actually seen in person, like my lifetime, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just don't realize the impact he has on the game. I put – Victor Hedman is is sort of the the current era's Nicholas Lidstrom. They, they don't exactly play this the exact same style, but not – much different. You just don't realize the impact he has. It's not just, you know, scoring and because you know last year in the playoffs he just scored. He was scoring. It seemed like every other game he was scoring a goal or big play. He hasn't been that this year, but he's had the, the assists impact, this year though. I mean, yeah, and the impact that he has on the game is just remarkable. And at this, to play that level, I mean, he's been in, he's been in the league a long time now. Mm-hmm. What it's thirteen years now or something like that. I yeah, I mean, he's a year less. He was a year after Stamco, so he was drafted in what oh nine. Oh nine. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, the other but, thing about the Lightning and, and people, you know, Hedman's scoring's down this year in the playoffs, and some people have talked about it. and and the the lack of defensive scoring for the team in the playoffs. They've scored what four goals by defensemen. Right. Now. I think that's right. But if you look at the type of teams they played, 
Carolina and Florida, they're teams that when you make a mistake, they go. And 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 if you look at the the way the Lightning have played in this playoffs, their defense have been sitting back a lot more. Yeah. And by design, not that Hedman's not scoring much. He's having a bad postseason. It's they've been sitting back more, not giving up those odd man rushes based on the type of teams they've played in this postseason. Now you're starting to see Savard get a little more involved in the offense and Chernak, and, and you're starting to see against the Canadians and, and even against the Islanders a little bit. But like Carolina and Florida will punish you on the back end with their speed if right. you make a mistake. So the defense was playing back a lot more. They weren't as aggressive in the offensive zone, sticking to that defensive posture in the playoffs. So, you know. yeah, there were a couple of moments the other night. I think it was I think it was game two that I watched where you know watching on TV is a little bit different. You see the puck coming out of the zone. You're like, "Where's the defenseman? Get in there!" And then you realize, "No, he's he's doing the right thing. He's backing up." Mm-hmm. That was the smart play. They got a lead. They don't need any more goals yep. at this point. Yep, exactly. So Michael asks, why doesn't the NHL do a better job of protecting their star players? Every other league does it. It's the it's a great question, Michael. It really is a great question. And it's um, we've noticed it specifically with Kucherov in these playoffs, that guys have taken liberties with Kucherov. And I think the league has a real problem right now, Steve, with with players using their sticks. It's, it's getting worse. Um, and it's something that it's funny, like we've – We've seen this. Uh, I noticed this I, a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago, um, back in 2005, right after the, the Lightning won the Cup and they had the lockout. And I went to Russia. And I talked to, to Vinny LeCavier uh, because he was over there. That's what I was over there to do a story. But I talked to some other players who played in Russia at the time. Danny Heatley was there. And uh, Yarmir Yager had a chance to talk to. He was playing in that league at the time. And they were talking about the, how much they enjoyed that league but there was very little fighting, but the stick work was out of hand, just ridiculous. Like guys whacking and cross checks. They just, they referees knew, or their players knew that the referees couldn't call everything. So a lot of it was going to let go. We see it in the playoffs more than, than we see in the regular season. We're not going to see fighting in the playoffs, especially now. You might see the odd fight here and there, or especially at the end of a game when the, when the game's been decided. But in the middle of games, we're not having fights. And so that's when the stick work picks up. And I, I do believe, like, the referees let it go. They just see it like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to call that. We saw the other night Kucherov get whacked on the back of the leg. And, and Michael makes a great point. If that happens in the NBA where guys are – LeBron gets protected, and we see in the NFL where quarterbacks get protected. But, yeah, in the NHL, the better you are, it seems like, the, the more liberties the other team takes and, and – they don't call it. I don't get it. Steve, you watch a lot of these games. I've never understood the NHL officiate. First of all, cross-checking has been bad and getting worse for years. Why you're allowed to hit someone in the back, period. Yeah. I never understood that. I don't care if you have the puck or whatever. If you can take your stick and extend your arms out and hit somebody in the back, that should be a penalty every time. Almost every the automatic, time. you get the stick in the hands, it's a penalty. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know... And yes, I mean players are expecting it sometimes, and you know what's coming. But st- I just I don't understand that. I I don't understand why the officiating changes in the playoffs, and they let a lot more stuff go. And, and you know why the why do you want the playoffs to be a war of attrition? I well, want the best players out there, right? That's what that's what it gets down to, and and we're seeing players get hurt. We saw we saw it the other night in game two. Sergachev took a cross check mm-hmm. to the ribs. And I'm not saying that the only the I mean I'm sure no, the, the Lightning have and there's they've gotten away with some cross checks where I'm like you know that's a don't that's a bad 
Why? I mean, I want stars. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to beat a beat up team if I'm the Lightning. I want to beat their best players. Right. I. It's something that the league's going to have to address. You know, I know. I know Gary Bettman was asked about it before Game One of the series. He was asked about the inconsistency in the officiating and how we've seen sort of the the, the post whistle stuff like just gets let well. go. And Bettman the other the other day, and it was I it was interesting to watch the reaction, where of course he defended his officiating mm-hmm. and said it's among the best in the world, and I didn't expect anything less. What I didn't expect was the outrage, particularly of the media, who know what they're talking about. I'm not talking about just you know local team media, you know I'm talking about national media, you know guys like Scott Burnside and you know ESPN type people and uh, and at the Athletic. Like national people, and they they basically mocked Bettman. Like, what are you talking about? Like, how can you say that this the officiating's good right now? It's not good right now. I think they're going to have to address it. Some this is the other thing too, Steve. We talk, we keep adding teams to the league, and I, Phil Esposito and I have talked about this. Not only are there not not enough players to go around, there aren't enough officials to go around. At once you get to this mm-hmm. level. Well, the other thing I don't like about officiating is look NHL officiating this game is moving so fast at this point it's hard but it's that post whistle stuff where you send two guys to the box and even it up that does nothing I don't you send two guys to the box for two minutes and it's four on four nothing you want to stop it one team gets a power play you started it your team's your team's going shorthanded period and you'll stop it immediately Steve, you watch these games. I watch these games. Every scrum that breaks out, I can tell you who started it. I, I, mm-hmm. I can watch it and say, okay, that guy started it. Mm-hmm. It's clear who started and, it. And I'm getting tired of, and this happened several times in game two, and it happened for both teams because the Lightning were guilty of it too, where a player, a, there's a shot on net, and the player's going to the, the goalie, and the goalie freezes it, and he stops. Doesn't whack at the goalie. Right. Doesn't do it. He stops before the goalie, and, of course, the defenseman has to shove him out of the way. He wasn't right. doing anything. And, and the Lightning did it, too. I'm not saying it was just Montreal doing it to the Lightning. Because I saw the Lightning do it several times. Where I'm like, the guy's doing nothing. Right. You know, if, yeah, he, took, if, if, he, took late, if he took a late whack, a whack, that's one him, thing. Yeah, that's one but thing. But right. the, guy, the guy was going to the net like you're supposed to when a shot's on net. The goalie freezes it, and he stopped. Yeah. And he did nothing. He didn't whack. He didn't take a stick. He did, and I'm like, I'm tired of that stuff, too. It's like, I mean. Yeah, no, the, the whole post, post-whistle stuff. is, And it's all it's all just like everybody's. My dad's tougher than your dad type stuff. It's, yeah. You know, it's it's it, it's all about trying to intimidate the other guy. And look, everybody, we're in the Stanley Cup Finals. Nobody's intimidated by anybody at this point. Just no. you know, <laughs> and I don't like seeing what happened to um, Gallagher the other night. I mean, you, you know, I don't want to see somebody's head hit the ice. Have you noticed too an uptick, Steve? I, it seems to me where like let's rip people's helmets off now. That's like the big thing. Like let, let me tear a guy's helmet off. Well, I I, I, I think it's. I have noticed it, and it's funny. Dave and Phil were talking about it the other night. I think some of it is is you kind of it can kind of diffuse the situation a little bit. Yeah, you, you don't want to get hit with your helmet off. You can be a little That's tough true. when your helmet's on. You can be a little tougher. <laughs> so if I take your helmet off, you might you might back off a little bit or think no, twice I know what about what happens engaging. during the play that the guy has yeah. to skate off and it becomes a thing. Or may, or maybe maybe it just hurts to rip your helmet off, so you're doing it just to. <laughs> Yeah, we saw. Yeah, you saw what happened to Gallagher the other night. I'm actually surprised that doesn't happen more. And I don't think Sergachev was meaning to drive his head into the ice like that. But no, but I don't want to see that. Play. He wasn't that's not. He wasn't not trying to yeah, do it either. It's a dangerous play. I don't, you know, I don't want to see anybody get hurt on the ice like that. That could I mean, have been really bad. Yeah, could have been really bad. I mean, that's. 
like, officiating in all sports has gotten a lot harder than it's ever been because the players are bigger, faster, stronger, period. Mm-hmm. And there's more going on. And, and not only that, but every play is scrutinized by replay now. Right. So they, you know, sometimes you're calling things based on what's replay going to show. You know, and that, that it just makes the job a lot harder. But the inconsistency is what that's what perplexed you more than anything. And, and the stuff that you could stop, like the post whistle stuff, you could easily right. stop that. I just want to see the cross checking. I that it's a real mm-hmm. problem, and the stick, all the stick work. I think it needs to be it needs to be addressed yep. soon. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile. slash switch. Upfront payment of forty five dollars, equivalent to fifteen dollars per month, unlimited over forty gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active Mint customers by five thirty one twenty four get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May thirty first, twenty twenty four. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. All right, we got a couple questions about your job at Pointer. Oh wow! Actually, so. Uh, Brian had asked, in your pointer report from Thursday, you included NBC News President Noah Oppenheim's discussion on how the media can build back trust over time and admitting when mistakes happen. Yeah. Do you see this as a long-term issue or something that they may resolve with post-pandemic and less contentious political sparring? I think it's all about transparency, and I think that's what Noah Oppenheim was trying to get. That, that's the point he was making, that, that you just have to be transparent. And that's, that's part of what I do with my newsletter is whenever there's a big investigative story, if you talk to the journalist, say, okay, how did you put this story together? What was sort of the impetus for this story? Um, you know, what was, you know, how did you go about it? What was your execution on it? How did, how did it, you know, what, what were you, just give me the process. And I think the more transparent you are, um, the more trust you can build with your audience. Um, at the same time, look, we're not perfect. The media is not perfect. They are going to make mistakes. And I think when news organizations own up to their mistakes, I think that's also a good thing as well. Look, nobody feels more sick than the journalist who has to issue a correction. I, I had to issue one the other day, and I'm, I can't remember what it, was, what it was. I had to put a correction. I think I misspelled a name. That's what It was just something you would see as really minor. I was talking about a, a Hollywood producer by the name of Scott Rudin, and I and who's who's been charged or been accused of just being a horrible boss and a horrible human. And a couple of times I referred to him as Reuben in the story, Scott Reuben. Um, you were just hungry for lunch. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I mean, and this is the, this is the thing that I that you'll get from readers. They're absolutely right. Like if I can't trust you to get the name right, why should I trust anything else in there? You know, and it's it's a look, I, I write a thousand names a day. And, and, you know, 5,000 names a week, I'm going to miss one now and then, but people, but it's not an excuse. Like I got to get that right. And so when, if you at least correct it and say, yeah, look, I screwed up the other day. I feel all horrible when that happens, but it's also, you're letting the audience know, like, I got it. I get it. I've made a mistake and I'm admitting to that mistake. But I think what Noah Oppenheim was talking about was just, yeah, just that transparency of, of, um, here's what we're doing. Here's why we do it. And the more the audience knows, then then the more they can trust that what you're doing is not based on politics. It's just on based on trying to get the right story out there. All right. Ellis asks, which job is more challenging, being a journalist covering sports or a journalist covering other journalists? Wow, that's a great question. Um, it's uh, 
if you're covering other journalists, they're really like they you better be <laughs> you try to get it all right no matter what. But it's almost like it's almost like being a chef and cooking for other chefs, you know, <laughs> like they know what you're doing as well, you know, and they know what tastes good and what doesn't taste good and how you what you could have done to make it better. So you have to be extra careful when you're writing about journalists. I mean, like I said, I don't want to make a mistake or get it wrong no matter who I'm covering. But journalists read it with a journalist's eye, if that makes sense. So the grammar better be right. Everything better be right on it. But I, I'll, I'll admit, like, like you have, journalists are no different than athletes or whatever. Some have thin skin. Some have thick skin. Some don't care what you write about them. Some don't pay attention. Some get, are really super sensitive to, to being questioned. It's just like athletes. I was going to say some coaches were. <laughs> a couple. <laughs> Harlan asked a question. He said, is it easy for low readership blogs to get credentialed in the NFL? And do hobbyists hinder full-time journalists? It depends on sort of what their what their point is. I I I, I do think there are some like uh, bloggers out there. You see it particularly like at a at a college level. You see it more. I don't I don't know why, but um, basically they're fans. They're fans covering games, and that's that's never a good thing. I think when you have fans there. But look, readers. If they serve a readership and a readership, sometimes the readers want, they don't want bad news. They don't, they don't want critical uh, analysis of their team. They, they want to read the, the team site. They want to read the local blog that, that is a fan of the team because they want the, the positive spin on everything. So I, I personally think that too many people get credentialed for events, but I mean, you look at it this way, Steve, like 40 years ago, like if you were just, you know, only newspapers got in. I mean, times change. And mm-hmm. so the, the, you know, I look at a guy like Bill Simmons. I mean, Bill Simmons basically started his own, his own blog and, and turned it into a column. And now he's turned into an empire, you know, a, a, a podcasting empire that, you know, he wasn't quite the guy that, you know, the sort of stereotypical guy in his mother's basement, but he wasn't far from it either. And, he, I mean, he did go a little bit the traditional route of, of working for newspapers and all that. But my point being is times have changed. I, I'm sure I have an old school philosophy of like, oh, you got you to go to journalism school and you got to be a newspaper. Yeah, it's not the case anymore. You know, people, there's some really good podcasts out there, people who mm-hmm. just sit at home. So I, I, you know, I could care less who gets credential to go to a game. But I think in those, the 10 minutes you have with the coach, the 10 minutes a week with Tom Brady, you know, those kind of things that those who ask bad questions, like there's an, there's an art to press conferences, which has kind of been lost. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's a give and take between reporters and the subject, particularly when it's one that does appear, you know, the coach comes out a couple times a week or the quarterbacks once a week or, you know, and then after the game too, or, and, and in order to get information and, and input on what happened, what's going to happen, et cetera. And, and, and there's a flow to questions and, mm-hmm. you know, the more you start getting credentialed and more people asking questions, you can kind of lose that insight. You know, you don't get the follow-ups, you don't get that, you know, and, and it's not, not saying that someone who's got a blog can't ask really great questions. I, I'm not saying either way. I've heard some reporters ask some questions like, what are you, what are you, <laughs> what sure. are you doing? I mean, yeah. 
you know, particularly that, you know, the coach just said this and now you're following up with something completely, you know, there needed to be a follow up there, but you had your question in your mind for whatever. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's, like I said, there's an art to it, but it's also been lost because we broadcast them all now. Like you didn't used to hear press conferences. That's true. Or maybe a soundbite or two. Now we carry them all live on the internet and you can watch them. And, you know, so some of that, some of that give and take go is gone. You hit on a great point there, Steve, which is you end up with a, a press conference where you might have 25, 20, 15 even uh, different outlets. You know, they might be newspapers, mm-hmm. they might be websites, they might be blogs, they might be podcasters, radio people, whatever. And everybody's going in with, I got an idea of what I, yeah, I'm doing, I'm right, I'm going into this Bucks press conference, I'm doing something on Brady, and somebody else is doing something on Cam Brady. And somebody else wants to talk about the special teams. And so everybody's waiting to get their question in. And you're right. You you missed that. Wait a minute. Did did he just say Brady? Something about Brady? Like, follow that up. Because a lot of times Mm -hmm. the same reporter doesn't get two in a row. And Zoom has really hurt this. And look, it's part of what happens. But you don't have that visual eye contact of, you know, you can – the, the you know the reporter can raise her hand. I got one more. I got a follow up, or you know, you don't have any of that, and and it, it's what it is today because of COVID and protocols, and I get it, but it's made that harder too. Of you know, I, I can remember last year during the Stanley Cup Finals. I don't remember the reporter, but it was after a, a game, and you know, it's okay. What happened tonight? I, I think the Lightning may have even lost the game, and then this reporter is asking questions about Eric Chernak, who. Was like had no impact. No impact in the game that day. And, and they're writing an off-day story for that. And we, but it was just like in the middle of trying to get inside of what happened in tonight's game, you're asking that, not at the end of the press conference, but in the middle. Because yeah. of Zoom, you got your – you know, it, it's – and like I said, part of it's the protocols and that. But there's an art to a press conference. And, you know, the best journalists – and look, there's some bad ones out there too. I'm not saying that – all, all you know, per, people who work for a newspaper or television know what they're doing, but it's that you know reading the room too. But and in, in, once we get back to in person press conferences, it's going to be a little better too. I because hope so. You have the body language. You have the you know. Right now, coaches or players are staring into a video camera. Right. They can't even see your reaction when they're talking. You know, they're That's just right. you know, and some some maybe some some the way they set up Zoom, some you can, some you can't. I know John Cooper mentioned the other day that he can't see anybody. He's just looking into right. a screen of himself because mm-hmm. he mentioned he misses, you know, they asked him about playing a, a team like Montreal, you know, if it's more special in the Stanley Cup final. He goes, well, if we were in Montreal and that was, you know, the hordes of Montreal media that come with the, the Canadians, it might feel like it. But, you know, I'm sitting here staring at a Zoom camera myself. Right. You know, so no, it, it's a great point. It's, I remember a couple of years ago. This was several years ago. This is back when the Tribune was still a run. And it was after it was a it was might have been a practice. And I think Stamkos it was with Stamkos. In fact, I got two stories about Stamkos. I'll tell them real quick. But Stamkos was struggling in the playoffs. And there was a question about whether or not he was hurt. And Eric Erlinson at the time was with the Tampa Tribune. And I was with the Times. And we started asking Stamkos. We got on a roll where it was we basically by the end of it were like, he's hurt. He's injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was no way we were going to get that information out of him, but all of it. But he hinted enough. was great where everybody could read the room. There were TV guys there. There were radio guys there. And they basically read that me and Eric were tag team and, and we were and we were on to something here. And they stayed out of the way. But it was also like I could sell 
where people are about getting ready to ask a question, I can shoot them a look like, don't you dare say anything right now. Like, yeah, let I, it, you know. I and then there was a couple of years ago where in the playoffs where, again, Stamkos was struggling. They were playing, I think it was the year they played Washington in the playoffs. And um, and I got them, and everybody surrounded me, and, and I got to ask like six questions in a row, and everybody could tell where I was headed with this thing. Like, it was basically like, hey, Steven, how come you're struggling to score goals in the playoffs again? And, but you can't say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> you have to you sort of ease up. into well, it. Well, that, that's the other part is the art of the press conferences. You don't hit them without the first question. Right. You know, we used to have an old joke. Eric, in fact, Eric Erlinson and I used to talk about when we covered John Tortorella, who, by the way, was terrific to cover. We loved covering. Mm-hmm. John Tortorella was so, so good to local media, at least to the, to the newspaper guys. But we, we realized early enough, like the first question, you got to throw it away. Like, we we learned early on the first question's got to be a burner like just burn it like mm-hmm. ask about that's the Eric Chernak question <laughs> just throw it out there now because he no matter what you say he's gonna he's gonna poop all over it and then the second then we get real with the second question mm-hmm. you know so yeah yeah there's all parts of that like I said who gets credentialed and but to me it's more and particularly in an era now where there's not one on ones right now so the press conference is the only way to get info from right. from players coaches etc. You want to make every question count, and and too often there's you're sitting there going, "Why are you asking that question for?" Well, you're, and you it's know. not only like you mentioned, you were right on top of it, Steve. I mean, I know some bloggers, some guys mm-hmm. who work and women who work for really small outlets who ask really good questions, and I know people who work for like national outlets are like, "What, mm-hmm. what kind of questions that?" Yeah, I mean, that's what you're just like, you know, what are you going to do with that information? I mean, you're asking the question, but you got to read the room. You got to read the mm-hmm. room. Yeah, that's, that's and you don't have to ask a question every time. There's a press mm-hmm. conference. If you don't have anything, be quiet. Well, and I think, you know, in the age of Zoom and the internet, that you know, some some journalists have been exposed a little bit as far as you know. You never heard their press conference questions before. You never, you know, you never knew. Right. You just read quotes from the coach said this, the player said this. You never heard how they got it, and you realize some aren't, or some of them are a lot better than others at it. Right. All right, we'll wrap up on this. And so far, Tom, you are one hundred and ten percent correct. So let's see if you can <laughs> uh, keep that record going here. Dynasty Grill tweeted us and said, if the Lightning retain the Stanley Cup and the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl again next season, do you think mm-hmm. the podcast should officially be renamed to Sports Day Champa Bay? Well, see, this is where I'm going to lose 110%. Um, I still like Tampa Bay, you know, just because Tom, Tom Jones, Tom Brady, whatever. Um, but we don't have what, a Tom, what, there's what, not what a Tom you, on the Lightning, is there? Uh, Tommy Mulligan, well, trainer. Trainer, but. That's been it. Um that, that's Tommy Vasilevsky, we rename him, and <laughs> we could. That would be. Uh, this has been amazing. This is amazing. This has been an amazing time, and I know it's me. I know it's me. I cover. I was a sports writer for thirty some mm-hmm. years. I covered one Stanley Cup champion. The Rays were off all those years, and then I leave, and they win a Super Bowl, and they win a Stanley Cup, and then another Stanley Cup, maybe, and they go to the Rays, go to to the World Series. The Rowdies are in the be. USL Championship, and they're the top Rowdies. team again this year. It's unbelievable. Uh, well, we all I, thank this, you for leaving. So <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> I've been, but I tell you, I've I've really is. You know, it's been fun. It's been my I don't know, and I don't know if your kids are old enough yet, Steve, to get into it. My son, my youngest son, is 24, so he's basically been here about as long as the Lightning has has been in the league. He's just a few years younger than the Lightning. Uh, my oldest son is the same age as the Lightning, and um. And it's been fun watching them really good. I went to game mm-hmm. seven with my youngest son. And like I said, I'm not, 
everybody knows. I I I I'll watch it. I, it's I was. I can't say I was jumping up and down rooting for him, but I like deep down, like just cause I knew how much it meant to my son and mm-hmm. it'd be fun for the community and it's good for local, you know, business and everything to have them in the Stanley cup final. I was watching, but it was such a thrill to watch my son watch that game seven to sit next to him. That's something I normally haven't been able to do because I've been working all those years. I, I was, you know, I was working when they won the cup in 2004 mm-hmm. and I was, uh, you know, I was working when they went to the Stanley cup final in 2015 but this was the first time where I actually sat next to my son as, and I, we got to watch the World Series together last year too. When mm-hmm. and he was with me the night the Brett Phillips play, and my other son's texting us and calling us, and we're going crazy just watching them enjoy it. And that's that's what I've enjoyed about not covering this and watching my kids really enjoy and getting into a, a like a sports franchise that weren't even here when I first moved here. Mm-hmm. You know. My problem is my kids are seven and five, and now they think all their teams do is win. Like, they never lose. And so at some point, this run is going to end for these teams. And my kids are going to, you know, every morning wake up and they'll say, who won the game? And I'll say, who do you think? And they'll say, lightning? Well, of course they did. Or Rays? Of course they did. I mean, that's all they do right now is win. Right. Um, you know, so at some point they're going to be in reality. Maybe I'll get them into Michigan football this year, and that'll bring them back to earth. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, it's going to be football before you turn around here in a minute. Uh, well, let's see. Um, I, I know I was looking at USF schedule. They start in two months from today. Wow. I believe. I think it's September 2nd is their first game, if I recall. So well, it's that's be, a Thursday it's be, night, I think. Let me double It's going to be that. great watching. Uh, yeah, September. Watching. I think college football starts September 2nd. There may be a couple games before then, but that's a Thursday night. So, yeah, we're two months away from college football starting. The NFL, of course, will start on uh, Thursday the 9th, a week later, with uh, the Cowboys at the Buccaneers to kick off the NFL season. And it's so. going to be great. And, and it was great watch being in a crowd the other night at the at the Lightning mm-hmm. game. I mean, these games on TV. It's going to be – I wonder what – it's, it's Montreal is going to feel a little weird. I. It was funny. During the playoffs, I really started to enjoy watching, like, Vegas play and, um, and obviously the Lightning games and – um, the Penguins and the Bruins and all you know all those teams. And it was weird watching the games from Canada because there was nobody there. There were very few, like almost you didn't even notice them. You know the thirty five hundred or whatever they had. So I wonder. Here's the other thing, Steve. I wonder if it'll be a little weird for the Lightning going into that atmosphere. It might be. I mean, they're getting used to. I mean, it was a full house at Amelie on for Game Two. They finally went up to eighteen six, which is the most capacity they can have for the final with uh, some some seats be turned into press seats and then some of the seats behind the benches and stuff not in use. So it's not a full 19, almost 100. Um, so 18.6, but that was the full capacity. Um, you know, I mean, Carolina was having 15,000 when they were playing there. Florida was having a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I think going to 3,500 might be a little weird. I can tell you, too, it's a, and it's a shame, and I understand it. I, you know, I don't know everything that's going on in Canada with COVID and, and everything that they're, they, they need to do or want to do, and I'm not, I'm not judging that. But I can tell you, Steve, I, I was a sports writer for, I don't know, however many, 30, 30, 33 years or 30, what, something like that. I can tell you without question, without question, the greatest atmosphere I ever felt, the greatest buzz I ever felt in, a, in a, an arena or a stadium of any kind was was Montreal the the when they especially 2004 but even uh in in 15 I guess it was when they played in the playoffs that 
there's nothing like playoff hockey in Montreal. It's the most, and I've been at Yankee Stadium for playoff games. I've been in, uh, you know, obviously at the Swamp for big college football games. I've been to some big, you know, some really cool places. Um, I've never seen anything like like a Montreal playoff game. So that's what, that's what everyone says. I haven't been to Montreal. I was supposed to go last summer for the NHL draft at the Bell mm. Center, uh, but obviously that became a uh, Zoom-only draft for everybody, and this year's draft will be, I guess, it's returning to Montreal in 2022 for the NHL draft. So, But I've never actually been to Montreal, so... It's the the atmosphere there in that arena is just it's it's my it was my favorite atmosphere to you know of any sport I've ever covered it's just tremendous and and I I'm telling you I talked to players too and and this happened even I, I guess they were talking about it the other night um, before game one even if you're the visiting team you can draw energy from the crowd you know just mm-hmm. especially after a year of not having any of crowd you know and and sort of having to generate your own energy but well, if you heard john cooper saying you know he would he's hoping that they would allow more fans in, yeah and that it's a fun environment to go play in even if you're the visitor i mean it's you know everyone yeah. says it's the best environment in the nhl it's so cool it's so cool but um well maybe next maybe maybe uh, another time soon so no hopefully so yeah well he's tom jones filling in for rick stroud who will return on tuesday's show uh, this is the 4th of July weekend this weekend, so we're going to take Monday show off. So there will be no show on Monday. Our next show will be Tuesday, which will follow Game 4 of the Stanley Cup final. Could be it. Could it, be it. It could be a, the uh, the Lightning have clinched, or possibly we're going to wait to see what happens in Game 5 on Wednesday next week. Uh, the Rays are uh, in Buffalo. That's weird to say. The Rays are in Buffalo <laughs> this weekend facing the Blue Jays. So, um yeah, that's just weird. And then the Indians come to town next week starting Monday for a series. So, uh, For Rick Stroud is on vacation and Tom Jones who filled in today and answered all your questions 110% correct, I'm Steve Versnick. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.